Welcome to Final Girl Friday. My name is Molly, and I like scary movies. Tonight is an especially exciting night for me. In celebration of both Mother's Day and my birthday, which fell on the same day this year, I'll be talking with my mom about one of our favorite films, The Final Girls, from 2015. Yeah, yeah, great. Where do they keep the chainsaws here? What? We might want to find out, right? Where they keep them? Because you never know when you might need a chainsaw. Why do we need a chainsaw for a slumber party? I've been dying to get my mom on the show for two years now. We knew we would talk about something eventually, but I think we both assumed it would be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as that's a thing with which we are both <laughs> obsessed. Everything just sort of fell into place around the final girls, and I'm, I'm really glad that this was our first conversation. I'll wrap up, of course, with a worst-case scenario. I got more answers to this week's question than ever, and I'm really looking forward to reading them. Before I can dive into all of that, we did get a teeny tiny bit of new information regarding Scream 5, sort of, from Courtney Cox, who interviewed recently with Drew Barrymore and had some passionate, albeit cryptic, things to say about the film, namely that she doesn't actually feel it is the fifth Scream, as we've all come to regard it. In the interview, Cox describes the new film as a hip, scary new Scream, saying it's not a reboot, it's not a remake, it's just a brand new launch. I have to say, I was not looking forward to this film at all. When they first announced they were making a fifth Scream, I was irritated. <laughs> I didn't even want a fourth Scream. I was happy with the trilogy we had. Thankfully, I was pleasantly surprised by Scream 4, and now I am glad that we have it, but I, I didn't want a Scream 5. As we continue to get more and more information, a little bit more insight into this new film, especially hearing what feels like very sincere passion from Courtney Cox about the vision of these directors and, and, and what they're trying to accomplish, I just, I'm beginning to feel quite jazzed about the new screen. We won't know until it's here, but I, uh, I'm really starting to look forward to it. I have a couple of slightly belated watch recommendations. I was hesitant to even mention them because they are both over a week old, but I know that there are people out there like me uh, who can sometimes take their time getting around to things, and I just, I have to pass these along. For my fellow Shudder subscribers, Joe Bob Briggs showcased Bride of Reanimator recently uh, on his series The Last Drive-In, and during the intermission, he interviewed the televised head of none other than Final Girl Friday's patron saint, Mr. Mr. Jeffrey Combs, who did an Austin Powers impression of all things and spent the entire interview being a fucking legend because that's what Jeffrey does. Jeffrey, Herbert West is just not interested in women at all, is he? Well, listen, I'm downstairs messing around with body parts and uh, Dan's upstairs messing around with uh, body parts. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to watch the second film from that week. It was week three, uh, Next of Kin, but I've heard great things about it, and I'm definitely looking forward to checking it out. However, I would say if you watch nothing else this week, please watch Bride of Reanimator as presented by Joe Bob. You will not regret it. There's also a very cool moment for those of us in the slasher community that happens sort of at the beginning of the episode by way of Darcy the male girl that just, uh, I felt so giddy. It was just, it was all around one of my favorite episodes thus far. And speaking of things on Shudder that everyone should 
be watching right now. By the way, this intro is absolutely not sponsored by Shudder. It's just kind of where I'm living my life right now. The second story in the first episode of the new season of Creepshow, Public Television of the Dead, hands down one of the best things I've seen all year. I want to describe it to you. I want to tell you every tiny little detail of this fucking masterpiece, but I can't because I don't want to spoil any of it. Just promise me if you have a Shutter subscription and you have not yet checked out any of the second season of Creepshow, you will head over there. It's so good. I've also discovered another new podcast that has taken over my apartment in the morning. It is amazing. It is called Say Podcast and Die. Hosted by two endlessly entertaining humans, Andy and Alyssa, Say Podcast and Die brings us deep dives into the good bump series that I never knew I needed. You see the woman's face fall apart. So that's pretty traditional body horror. And then we have it mixed with pedagogy where they are invading your body in some way and controlling it for their own mysterious pleasures. And then the other thing this overlaps with is robot horror. Yeah. I was thinking a lot of chopping mall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From Welcome to Dead House to Bad Hair Day, they raise and explore all kinds of questions, examine the real-world implications of myriad elements from the Goosebump series, and they begin most episodes with a reading, which honestly, even if that was all they did, I'd be pretty happy. So all the other stuff, all the hard work and research and love that goes into it, it's, it's all just one huge bonus. Say Podcast and Die is available pretty much everywhere. I've been listening to it on Buzzsprout, but it's also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And it is fantastic. For a little recommended reading over at Bloody Disgusting, Brian Kuiper, keep Keeper? Or Caper? I'm actually not sure. It, Brian brings us Reinvention and Resurrection, the Friday the 13th sequels that elevated the franchise, which looks specifically at Friday Part 2 and Jason Lives in honor of their respective anniversaries. In this article, he says, both Part 2 and Jason Lives stand as unique entries in the Friday the 13th series. They also have quite a bit in common. Both reinvented Jason, both explored new territory for slasher films, and both are very skillfully made. Neither are mere repetitions of what came before. I was also happy to see that although he didn't showcase the final chapter, which is my personal favorite Friday film, he did make mention of it before he wrapped up, citing it as one of the best in the franchise, so... All in all, hats off to you, Brian. Really wish I knew how to pronounce your last name. In addition to that excellent editorial, I have had my nose buried in a copy of a book that I had been drooling over ever since I became aware of its existence. It was given to me as a gift for my birthday this year. I'm so happy to have it. I'm actually holding it in my hands right now. It's called The Science of Women in Horror, The Special Effects, Stunts, and True Stories Behind Your Favorite Fright Films. It was written by the hosts of the Horror Rewind podcast, Meg Hoftal and Kelly Florence. This book is expertly constructed delightfully written. It covers everything from the Babadook to Sleepaway Camp, Gerald's Game, Nightmare on Elm Street, Let the Right One In. They even explore characters in films that I've loved since I was a kid that for some reason I just don't really hear people talk about that much, like What Lies Beneath and Ginger Snaps. I'm just going to read a little excerpt from the introduction. What do we want from our female characters? They don't need to be perfect. They don't necessarily need to kick ass. They don't need to make all the right decisions. We want to see a reflection of ourselves. The science of women in horror explores the way women have been trailblazers and creators within the genre from its infancy, and digs into the archetypes, social science, and history behind horror itself, all while speaking with such notable female horror legends as Dee Wallace, Deborah Voorhees, and Alice Lowe. Join us as we discover the scientific proof that ghouls rule. I am having such a good time with this book. The Science of Women in Horror is available in paperback from Amazon for $11.99 or on Kindle for a dollar less than that. So I think that's pretty much all I have for this week. There really wasn't much in the news that was like jumping out at me. 
but there was a ton of stuff I wanted to recommend to you guys. Without further ado, it's time to dive into the discussion. If you're new to this podcast and you don't hate it, stay tuned until the end of this episode for information on Final Girl Friday elsewhere. As usual, if you haven't seen the Final Girls from 2015, or really any of the movies that we mentioned throughout the course of our conversation, proceed with caution. Mom and I will undoubtedly be spoiling a handful of films for you. I cannot think of a better way to celebrate Mother's Day, especially this year, as it's not just Mother's Day, it's also my birthday, than to talk about my favorite mother-daughter movie with my favorite mother, my mom. That was really cheesy. Hi, mom. (laughs) (laughs) What? Cheesy and adorable. Hi, baby. (laughs) For those of you who are not familiar with her, um, this is my mother. Her name is Susie. She is an avid horror fan as well. Growing up with you, it wasn't so much horror movies. It was you were a Stephen King fanatic. Oh, yeah. I think I read Carrie when I was 19. And that was it. Just everything that I could get my hands on more than once. Yeah, that's what I remember the most in terms of like the, you know, horror genre being around me as a child. The thing that I remember most was you were always reading something scary. What is your earliest horror movie experience? Like what what's the what's the first horror movie you ever remember watching? Okay. Well, the first horror movie that I remember watching, I may have watched something before that, but when I was 9 there was a movie called The Brain That Wouldn't Die. There is a horror beyond yours, and it's in there, locked behind that door. The paths of experimentation twist and turn through mountains of miscalculation and often lose themselves in error and darkness. And I don't think I even knew what that movie was after that until Mystery Science Theater 3000 did it. <laughs> and then I knew what it was. I, I love watching their version of it. But... My version that I saw when I was nine. The scene that I remember being so scared of was the month there was a monster. It was about a, a doctor who had a car accident with his fiance and she was decapitated. And he took her head back to his laboratory and he hooked her up to the machines and made her head back to life. And so here she is, just this head in his lab. He was kind of an experimental sort of guy. He liked to experiment a lot. And one of his bad experiments was in a, I call it a closet, but it was just a room, a locked room. And his lab assistant used to bring food to this failed experiment, who was obviously mean, you know, because the guy was very scared. So in the scene that scared me so badly that I remember, the assistant took the food and put it into the slot. And apparently the monster grabbed his arm because he pulled his arm right out of the socket and the arm was gone and there was just blood coming down all down. And it was just horrible. And it scared me so bad. It was great. I loved it. (laughs) Except shortly after that scene happened, my dad was like, Suzanne, where's my pin? Right. What do, you, what do you mean your pen? My pen. You have my pen. Where's my pen? Huh? Like, oh no, because I knew that his pen was in my toy box and my toy box was in my closet. Oh no. <laughs> so 
So I had to go in my, because, you know, you didn't mess with my dad. So yeah. I couldn't say, oh, but I just got really scared, dad. So I can't go to the closet right now. Sorry. So I went into the closet. I opened the closet and I reaching my hand in that toy box was probably the hardest thing that I ever had to do Aww. up to that point. And I have loved horror ever since. <laughs> and I don't really know why. You know, I, I knew that the first horror movie you had ever seen was Sabrina Wouldn't Die. Like, I remembered that, but I don't think you've ever told me that story. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, my other best experience was later when I was 14 or I was 15. The very next horror experience that I remember, because I'm sure I watched some scary movies between 9 and 15. But my mom, my poor mom, accidentally took me to see The Exorcist. <laughs> she had no idea what we were going to see she wanted to go see a movie with me and I love that Aww. and so we went to the movie and we went it was it was it was the the exorcist and the movie before that was Jane Fonda and Donald Sutherland and Jane Fonda played a prostitute and I can't mm-hmm. remember what the name of that one was Clute maybe I don't know when The Exorcist came on, I was absolutely loving it. It was just the best thing that I had ever seen. And my poor mom, the scene when Reagan takes the cross to herself and then puts her mother's face, you know. Yeah. Mom got up and left the theater. <laughs> I can only imagine, like, not only seeing The Exorcist when it was first a thing, but to, like, go into it and have absolutely no idea. Kind of like when I went to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I thought I was going to see a scary movie. Yeah, I love that story. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Yeah, 19 years old, and I'm like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, that sounds good. I'll go see that. And, of course, it was, but at the time... I just sat there with my jaw dropped the entire movie going, what the hell am I, what? Please, don't tell me to can it. Janet. I have one thing to say, and that's, damn it, Janet, I love you. Which is so funny because later in life, you would go on to be the prostitute for the live action Rocky show that we did <laughs> in Dayton. And it's so yeah. funny that that was like how you became introduced to it was like thinking you were going to see a I know. Oh my God. Those are the experiences that I remember the most. I can't believe I didn't know about that closet story with uh, Sabrina Wouldn't Die. That's great. It was, and it's funny. I just, I love that feeling apparently because I have just come back trying to find that feeling (laughs) my whole life. The closest that I've come to recently was when I first watched The Conjuring. And I was in the dark by myself, actually at mom's house in the room next to her. She was asleep. I got so scared. I had to turn the movie off and watch it the next day in the daytime. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't blame you. The Conjuring, the first time that I saw it, it also really gave me the creeps. Um, yeah. It is a very oh. effectively frightening film. With horror fans, it's like there's always that moment in our lives when we, there's like a road we can take. And I think about that with the verbs. Looking up and seeing my giant reanimator poster, you know, and all of this. I mean, I've got my syringes and my Frankenstein's monsters and my, I mean, I grew up and became obsessed with the mad doctor or mad scientist trope. I love it. And it was the first thing that ever scared me when I was a kid. And I just think it's so interesting how we we go one of two ways. You either get really scared and you avoid that feeling for the rest of your life. You know, people that grow yeah. up that just want nothing to do with horror films. Or you yep. feel that feeling and then you want it back. 
it's been a long time, you know, since I've been really scared. I think Hereditary was the last movie that I saw that genuinely scared me. Oh, God, yes. That's one of my favorites. Nothing like Tony Collette. Nothing at all. Don't you swear at me, you little shit! Don't you ever raise your voice at me! I am your mother! Hard to find horror movies that really do what The Conjuring and Hereditary are able to do. I think they happen a lot less frequently now than they did. Or maybe Thank it's just you. that we're older, so we're desensitized to it. So it's harder to scare us. That is very true, too. There's still movies that I watch sometimes, even here at my house. I haven't been scared like, like with The Conjuring. But there's movies that I've watched where I have to put the blanket up over half my face. Yeah. What would be some of the scarier films that you've seen in recent years? Grave Encounters is one is that found footage and yeah okay. i love found footage found footage i think for me most of the time it takes place in places that scare the shit out of me like great yeah. encounters they're in an old old asylum i mean it's getting to be kind of standard now but there really isn't anything more scary than abandoned places. I love abandoned places. Chernobyl Diaries, I thought was a really great movie because it takes place in an abandoned, the whole town. But Grave Encounters was really scary. It was blanket over the face, scary. Willow Creek, did you see Willow Creek? Yeah, uh, Rory actually, because I'm not a fan of Bigfoot stories. And Rory kind of made it his mission to like introduce me to Bigfoot stories that I might enjoy. And he, the first one that he recommended to me was Willow Creek. And I fucking loved it. And you know, that scene when they're in the tent and they're just listening because there's something rustling around outside that whole, what is it? 15, 20 minutes, whatever that they did that in one take. Yeah. And did you know that the, the noises are all coming from Bobcat Goldthwait? <laughs> oh my God. Now that I didn't know. That is terrific. The possession of Hannah Grace, I thought was really super scary because the protagonist is working alone in the morgue and she takes in a body and things happen. And I loved it. And it was one of those blanket over the face. So those were three that I could think of right now that were blanket over the face scary. I love that Willow Creek's on that list. I haven't seen uh, Grave Encounters. I've passed by it a lot. Since I now really enjoy found footage films, I didn't like found footage for a very long time. And really, it was the first paranormal activity more than anything that turned me around. And then I saw uh, The House of October Built, which I think is probably my favorite found footage film of the last, you know, like oh, good, because The Houses October Built is one of my top five favorite found footage, and Grave Encounters is number one. So oh, nice. watch okay. Grave <laughs> Encounters. All right, I definitely will, okay. for sure. And then the uh, the Possession of Hannah Grace, is that what it was called? Yeah, it's not a found footage. Um, right. It's just a creepy morgue and a creepy haunted body. I, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's really good. And the oh. actress who plays... Hannah is amazing. I was very happy with that movie. The Final Girls, directed by Todd strauss Schulson, written uh, by Joshua John Miller, who, of course, is the son of Jason Miller, and uh, his life partner, M.A. Fortin. The film stars Tysa Farmiga, Malin Ackerman, Thomas Middleditch, Alia Shawkat, and it was released on November 5th, 2015. It tells the story of Max, a young girl whose mother is killed in a car crash. Her mother was an actress who played a victim in a slasher film from the 80s called Camp Bloodbath. And on the anniversary of 
her mom's death, Max and her friends get sucked into said slasher film. And desperate to kind of turn back the clock and save her mother, Max befriends Nancy, the character her mother played in the film, and tries to turn her into the final girl so she can survive. Max's mom plays Nancy, this sort of shy girl next door who gives up her butterfly to some dumb jock, and Billy Murphy comes along and chops her ass up on a waterbed. <laughs> you and I both, it took us both a long time to see the final girls. Because yeah. it came out, what, 2015, and neither of us saw it until last year? Yep, and I didn't see it until after you saw it and said, Mom, you got to see this. I don't know why it took us so long, because it's pretty much the perfect movie. I know why it took me so long, because I'm not a, normally I'm not a huge horror comedy fan. I like my horror to be scary, but this movie, I make a big exception for this one. I didn't intend to like jump right into this, but I, I think it's so funny that you say that you, you like your horror to be scary. One of the biggest struggles that the uh, writers of this film had in pitching it and getting it made was that studios wanted to downplay a lot of the violence and the blood and gore and things like that. People couldn't wrap their brain around how the movie was going to work. But boy, it does work, doesn't it? Oh, God, it really does. It works in a way that like very few horror films do. Uh, I think because it brings in elements that we so rarely see in horror films, the most prominent element being the mother-daughter relationship. I know in the movie you're supposed to die, but that doesn't mean you have to, right? Right? And if you don't die, then that means you'll be around at the end of the movie when we leave. Right? So then who's to say you can't just, you can't just come home with me? Not only does this horror movie make me laugh, there are so many things about it that, are, that just crack me up, but it makes me cry like a big baby. Same. Same. This movie makes me cry so hard, like more than a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, right at the beginning of the movie now. The, this first time I saw it, I don't think that it made me cry right away. But this second time that I watched it, as soon as it started, I was crying. Great. <laughs> <laughs> <Great. laughs> and that's all the mother-daughter thing right there. They love each other. They get along well. They help each other. The daughter is very motherly to the mother, you know, which is always nice. That was the biggest reason why I wanted to talk about this film specifically with you. I didn't even realize how much the horror genre specifically is lacking in healthy, loving mother-daughter relationships until I saw The Final Girls and actually yep. saw a horror film that featured a healthy mother-daughter relationship. And I'm like, holy fuck, this does not exist in our genre, you know? Mm -mm. I mean, I mean, really, the list of mother-daughter relationships in horror alone is pretty small. Usually, the more prominent relationships are between mothers and sons, uh, or True. fathers and, and daughters. I wrote down a list of movies that had mother and daughter relationships in them. Mm -hmm. The number one on my list actually does have a really good mother-daughter relationship, and it's The Exorcist. Oh, yeah, definitely. I think The Exorcist is uh, one of the few films that actually could it kind does. of fit into this category, yeah. Carrie. Well, that relationship is horrible. Monster, that movie about the monster that gets the mom and the daughter in the car. They have a terrible relationship because that mother is horrible. I've been talking for a couple of weeks now, like I reached out on Slasher. I've just been trying to kind of create this ongoing discussion with people about why that is. Like, why do you think it is that we don't feel compelled to explore healthy mother-daughter dynamics in film in general? 
because the list yeah. is like if you if you go to Google and just type in like mother daughter movies for Mother's Day, maybe like 15 films that are like universally recommended. You type in father daughter films or father son films for Father's Day. The lists of those three times as long. Yeah. But then to hear the writers of The Final Girls talk about it, New Line Cinema wanted them to cut a significant amount of the uh, the emotional moments and the interpersonal moments and the mother-daughter relationship. And they were trying to encourage them to change Max's mom to like Max's boyfriend or her dad. Oh, good grief. Obviously, good mother-daughter dynamics do exist in, in film and in horror film. Carol Ann and Diane and Poltergeist, I think, is another good example. Yeah. Dahlia and Ceci from Dark Water, and uh, Meg and Sarah from Panic Room, which I know isn't technically a horror film, it's more a thriller, but that's probably one of the best depictions of a mother-daughter relationship I think I've ever seen on film is in Panic Room. Yeah, I remember that one, yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It makes sense to me that the thing that is most interesting to audiences in film is conflict. And so that, I think, acts as a good justification for why so many relationships, parental you know, relationships, family dynamics are often in conflict because we do find that more engaging. We find that more interesting. There's a lot more to work with when, you know, members of the family don't get along. They don't make a whole lot of movies about people who are happy together. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) They just don't. I guess that's just boring to watch people be happy together, but everybody wants to be happy together. So I don't know. Well, no. And, you know, it's more powerful. And you mentioned that kind of when we I mean, I know we really still haven't talked much about the final girls, but. Oh, yeah, we should talk more about them. I have my whole I have two pages of notes. (laughs) I know. I'm so sorry. Well, my plan originally was that we would talk about the final girls first and get into the mother daughter dynamic last. And that's just that just completely flipped. Yeah, well, you know what? We're mother and daughter. We're the same. So, of course, we're going to do it that way. (laughs) No, it's very true. But um, I think you really hit on it kind of in the beginning about how this film, how how the final girl specifically makes us cry. And Mm -hmm. what allows the film to have such an impact on me is that because we see these characters, Max and Amanda, we see them happy together, even though the relationship is a little sad when Amanda's alive because Max feels responsible for her mother. She feels like she has to be the grown up in their relationship. It's a very natural sort of, sort of sadness but it's born from a place of love and it's a very loving relationship so that we meet them and we see them interact for I think like what five minutes and that Mm -hmm. alone as soon as Amanda dies which is like five minutes into the film you're devastated right yeah you know if they had had not a great relationship if we hadn't gotten to see them you know singing in the car together and and the love you know and really felt that relationship that they had would her death even have meant as much and then by the end we have seen so much. The fact that they, they got along so well, even in the movie, even when it isn't actually her mother, it's the character her mother played and they have this bond. Um, mm-hmm. Showing them happy makes it so much harder when that happiness is taken away. So to me, it's a more effective storytelling tool. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Having lost my mom four years ago now, when it comes back and shows Max after her mom has died three years, she's still got all of her pictures on the mirror and she's still watching the videos. Of course, it's the the anniversary of her mom's death, which I'm not a big fan of celebrating the, well, not celebrating, but even commemorating the day that somebody dies. I don't do that with my mom's death day. 
or whatever that is. But she loves her mom still so much. And her mom is a huge part of her life. And she's, she's happy, but she's sad. And I think that that's really, really sweet. This is something that I really would like to know. Max was watching the trailer at the beginning of the movie for the movie, for mm-hmm. Camp Bloodbath. But it doesn't seem to me, as we go through the movie and when she's living the movie, that she's watched the movie much at all. If it were me and my mom had been an actress and had been in a movie, even if it was a slasher movie, I would at least watch it all the time, up to the part if she did when she died. Maybe I wouldn't be able to stand watching her killed. Yeah. But I would watch it to that point because it would be like seeing her, you know? What do you think about that? Do you think that she has watched it? I feel like my opinion on that is slightly tainted because one of the writers of this film, Joshua Miller, as I mentioned earlier, is the son of Jason Miller, who played Father Karras in The Exorcist, um, which is also an interesting connection because we were talking about how The Exorcist has a rare, you know, positive mother-daughter relationship. Um, And Miller's main motivation for writing this film was it was his way of coping with the sudden death of his father. And in the commentary for this film, he was talking about how growing up, he watched his father be killed, thrown through a window over and over again, growing up watching The Exorcist. And um, Miller was kind of exploring the, 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 the inherent strangeness of that. I really do think that Max actually going into the film is a good representation for her watching it over and over again. At least I get to see her, even if she is being chased by a psycho with a machete. I mean, obviously I feel like the events in this film actually happen. I feel like this is a fantasy world and they really did happen to Max, but I feel like it's a good kind of metaphor for what I imagine Miller might have done, you know, or at least Miller reflecting on having seen his father in, in, you know, in movies so much growing up. So I, I think, that maybe Max, the character, hasn't necessarily sat down and watched the movie over and over again. She definitely seems a little clueless once they're actually in there. Um, I mean, at least compared to Thomas Middleditch, who's sort of their Yoda. But I think that it doesn't matter her actually going into the film, developing a relationship with the character her mother played is the metaphor for that. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. no, that does make sense. So not only with me not liking horror comedy and loving this one, I also don't like movies that I can't understand how things happen sometimes. I I like my stories linear, and I like things to make sense. There's a lot about this movie and them being in the movie and all of that that just don't make sense, but I don't care. In In this instance, with this film, it's fine. I think one of the reasons why that works, and this is because I have a theory about this, because, okay, again, also something that the writers talked about. I'm sorry I keep referencing the writers, but I, I did just watch the yep. film with the writer commentary. So it's like all right there at the forefront. Oh, no, that's cool. That's um, really interesting. I like it. Yeah, it was it was a great commentary track. I, if anybody out there listening has seen the final girls uh, and has access to the commentary track from the writers that hasn't listened yet, please do, because it's, it's very informative, really entertaining. Um, but they were talking about how their original vision for this film was so vastly different from what we eventually got. Not in a way that's upsetting or alarming, like they were very pleased with the end result, but their original vision was very different. And one of the things that surprised them so much walking onto the set was when they had described the world of the film itself, you know, the fictional world that the characters get sucked into. They described it as a technicolor world. 
And they were really surprised when they got to the camp, the Girl Scout camp where they were filming and saw that they had actually put technicolor flowers all over the forest and they Mm. digitally altered the skies. Like every sky that you see inside the film is digitally altered. They really did make it feel like Max went from Kansas into Oz. And I think that that choice really eases that burden of not being able to explain how or why certain things work. You accept it a lot more easily the same way that you accept that things happen the way they do in Oz. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they, I really think they had, it was a good move to make the fictional world feel so fictional. I mean, that's, that's my theory anyway. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense to me. I'm glad that they spend so much time inside the movie. Because you do end up getting, so you have like two very distinct casts of characters. You have the characters from our reality, Max and her friends. And then you have what the writers referred to as the fictionals. You have the fictional cast of characters, which include Angela Trimborg, plays Tina, and um, who is just, in my opinion, the shining fucking star of the film. Oh my God, (laughs) I agree. 100%. (laughs) She's amazing. Why do I have to wear all this stuff again? Because you're scripted to do a striptease at the slumber party, and when you take your top off, Billy comes running. But why does he hate my boobs? Because they're not big. One of the things that I really like about the movie is the music. I love the music. Oh, and even that cherry pie that Tina does (laughs) for striptease, too. It's perfect. (laughs) It's absolutely perfect for that scene and for her. Just, I, I just, I think that, you know, it's funny, but and I know I've said this like a hundred times. I don't like horror comedy much, but that scene in this movie is one of my favorite horror scenes ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know that she passed out, that Angela Trimble passed out, I think like three times while trying to film that because she was so into it. I am not surprised because... <laughs> Well, this this last time when I was watching it and watching her dance, I'm like, oh, my God, she is moving so hard. That was the only thing, you know, I remember being young enough to be able to move hard, but I don't think I could ever move that hard. Just, <laughs> yeah. You know, when I was dancing, it was more just like going back and forth, you know, was, <laughs> I am not surprised that she passed out. She probably forgot to breathe. And then, yeah. so she, <laughs> oh, she's so Ah, she really is. I think my favorite moment from Tina isn't even actually uh, in the film. It's in the the gag reel at the end of the film. Um, Mm -hmm. When she's like, oh, what, a phone that I can fit in my mouth? (laughs) (laughs) And you can just hear, you can hear the crew just cracking up, you know, (laughs) like she must have been such a joy to work with. (laughs) Oh, my God. I would bet she is. And that's another thing that I really love about Final Girls, why this movie I think is so special is that you can really tell that they were, everybody was having the time of their fucking life making this movie. Can I just ask you what you think about the end, the begin, the opening is all Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. right? Can't at the end, that. I think I know what the you're The end is all Halloween 2. Yep. <laughs> The ending is one of my favorite moments. I I love when Billy smashes through the window and we see the title, the title card. Because that's the other thing, too, is I really love how they play with title cards in general in the film. Yes. Yeah. And then that, but that look on Thomas Middleditch's face when he's like, oh, my God, it's the sequel. You guys, it's even better than the original. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, the 
everybody is so funny in this movie. Mm. I can't, it's no wonder I, I adore this one. It's just, how could I not? It's so cute. Yeah. It's a love letter to the slasher subgenre and that it's hard not to love that. They really did that so well. Because you're right, they're paying homage to Halloween 2, several Friday the 13th films, House on Sorority Row, like the list of slasher films that they're sort of drawing inspiration from is a pretty long one. And it's all obvious, but not heavy handed. They found that perfect sweet spot where they could pay homage to the films in a way that still felt very unique to the film itself. They also paid homage to Carrie with the whole part of the booby trap being the bucket and the string. (laughs) down from the bucket and it being stuck and they mm-hmm. couldn't get it to work right away He's like mm-hmm. oh my god that's terrible yeah <laughs> no it's so true and the more you watch it the more you discover so what would you say is your favorite scene in the film oh man is it, is it tina's dance or is it something a little bit more <laughs> yeah it would it, it actually is tina's dance yeah <laughs> i would love to say it was you know something else but i can't <laughs> from the time that they see her all Adderalled out until <laughs> she pulls up her top and goes, makes that noise I can't even make. <laughs> you know, that. Oh, my it. God. My favorite scene in the movie uh, is when they leave the cabin, they jump through the window and it mm-hmm. becomes slow motion. I love the music. I love the concept. Uh, I love every second of that scene. And um, it was supposed to be a lot longer. And I, I can understand why, like, literally everyone involved in the film was like, no, you have to cut this down. But I yeah. I, I, I right on board with them. Um, I think it was Joshua Miller who said that he could watch just two hours of that. I am exactly the same uh, way. I could watch two hours of that shit. I love it. Absolutely. What's To me, it was just beautiful. It's an excellent representation of of the magic they were able to achieve, you know, existing yeah. in that world. And and other little moments that they chose to do like that, where they go back to the flashback for the second time, when they realize that the flashback can act as a kind of, not necessarily a safe haven for them, but it can buy them some time. And so the second time they go back to the flashback, grown-up Billy is there and the car smashes into him and he smashes mm-hmm. into the, the subtitles, you know? Um, yeah. I, I think that's so fucking brilliant. Or the moment when yeah. they step over the subtitles. Very, very cool. Very clever. I like mm-hmm. it. Favorite mother-daughter part, though, of the scenes of all the mother-daughter parts, my favorite is, I think, when she sees her mom for the first time. Oh, yeah, when they're in the van. In the van. Because I can cry, I can start crying just thinking about it. Yeah. God, and the moment, well, and it's the delivery of her, of that line when Nancy asks Max her name and just the look, you know, on Max's face and and the way that she says her name, it's just, oh God, it guts me. (laughs) Oh my God. I think emotionally, my favorite moment is when they're, when they're sitting there, just the two of them talking, they're they're talking about the possibility of (laughs) Max bringing Nancy to the world. She says all the things that she wants to do. And she says, I want to shop at the mall. And Max is like, well, people don't really shop at the mall anymore. They shop online. She goes, what's (laughs) online? And then a couple of seconds later, she's saying again, like, well, no, I do want to shop online. And she doesn't even know what it means, but she says it. it yeah. makes, I feel like I'm tearing up. Like, just, <laughs> about it. The dialogue in the film is just top notch. 
All hail Max. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why I worshipped you then. I'm just excited to see you. Yeah, you're also really weird. You're very strange and weird. I guess um, the the guy who plays, and I'm so sorry because I don't have my, I don't have no, the tall guy that loves Max. Yeah, that guy, the the boyfriend yeah. character. He could kind of lift right out for me, and I don't mean that yeah. as, as any sort of slight against the actor. It's just that his character doesn't. I don't care. I don't care either, and I don't know that we're supposed to. So I guess that's okay. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's just like New Line insisting that they turn Max's mom into a guy and create a romantic, a more romantic storyline for her, where it's her boyfriend who died. You know, and then or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't want that. I, I think it's much more interesting to explore relationships that don't have anything to do with romance most of the time. Like, I don't need a romantic storyline in a movie to, to keep me interested. I don't mind that it ends with a kiss, that they're standing there in front of the closing credits, which is also a fucking amazing scene. They're standing there in front of the closing credits and they're kissing. And that's very sweet. But it lifts right out like that. You could very easily have taken that character, replace him with Gertie and just have them standing there watching the credits roll. And it would have had the same level of emotional impact, I think. And you know what else is interesting that you're talking about this when the actual end of the movie is on here on my TV. The very quiet version (laughs) of it. Okay. But they're in the hospital now and it's about to be the sequel. He is over in the bed. And it's the other four of them that are outside the door looking at the doctor and the nurse who are about to have sex and who are about to die. Yeah. Um, but it's just them. He's not around. No, it's true. Maybe like, again, he lifts right out. He's not even going to be there for the sequel. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe he's in a coma through the whole sequel. Maybe he takes on the Laurie Strode Halloween 2 role where he's just in bed for like the first half, you know? Yeah, that'd, um. be, that'd be great. I bet there's <laughs> not going to actually be a sequel, is there? <laughs> I actually don't know. I would be happy either way. Like, I would enjoy a sequel to The Final Girls, but I also just love that it ends the way that it does. Like, I, I would be happy either way. <laughs> it doesn't have to have a sequel, but I could really watch Tina in another movie. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> I mean, I have to say same. Like, like Tina's definitely my favorite character in the film. Yeah. I liked Paula, the, the final girl that they brought in. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was great that they went the sort of, like, tough girl final girl route instead of yeah. the, the, you know... Um, like the what's the word I'm looking for like the wallflower route um went for like a slightly lesser known sort of sub trope and I and I like that they did that her death was fucking hilarious um yeah and what is what is the guy's name is it Kurt yes the douchebag guy yeah he is so funny and I loved I think my favorite line from him was when they're in the van after they get sucked into the film yes they decide to like hitch the ride and he's like, are you, are you poor people? Are you guys poor? And like the look on his face. When he's that. <laughs> I love that. And I also love, I also love when he's in the car with Paula before it explodes. And he's like, so, and then, so you want to go to a motel and then maybe we could get into something. It just, yeah. I love, I love that he goes down swinging. Like every, every moment of his existence was specifically yeah. to get laid, and that didn't stop when he was moments away from death. Yeah, we took a vote, and you get to share my sleeping bag. Thanks, Kurt, but I'm saving myself for someone who doesn't have a needle dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, it's like a hammer dick, if anything. It's a sledgehammer. I also love that he wears lavender underwear. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, that's a precious. Yeah. No. People. Yeah. Are you guys poor? Yeah, because their clothes don't look, you know, are you are you poor people? Just the way that he says it, whereas like he's doing this like weird like half grimace 
And it's just (laughs) brilliant. It's so well written. It's and well acted. I just Mm -hmm. I'm just very impressed with this film. Me too. It it's unlike any other film I've ever seen in multiple ways. And I mean, there are things that they did that, you know, maybe we've seen a little bit here and there in other movies, but it's such a unique it's like a unicorn. The Final Girls is like a fucking unicorn. I, I love I love this movie so much. They were never alive. They weren't real. Neither are you, because this is just a movie. So I was going to come to this post on Slasher and see if there were any other mother-daughter dynamics that people mentioned. If anyone's yeah. going to have like good insight into the various dynamics in horror films, it's going to be the Slasher community. So I went over there and I asked, can anyone think of a healthy, loving relationship between a mother and a daughter in a horror film? I think we've touched down on pretty much most of the ones that were that were brought up, like the like Poltergeist, um, Caroline and Diane from yeah. Poltergeist uh, was brought up a couple of times. Uh, the Monster's Bride said the house at the end of the street, which I think is also yeah a good example. Yeah, it's I think a little bit more like a typical teenager and her mother kind of relationship, but it is a good. She's a good mom. It's a good relationship. Um, yeah. Uh, the Bonebreaker said relic, and I I think he's referring to the the 2020 relic, which I haven't seen. Have you seen that? No. If he's recommending it, I I I trust his judgment. So I'm gonna cool. have to see that. Uh, Jerry Dandridge said Byzantium which I also haven't seen. It's a mother-daughter vampire movie, apparently. No, nope, I haven't um, seen that. Not a vampire fan, so I probably would have, I would have passed that one up. Which is so funny that, you, because neither am I. <laughs> and yet, last year, we watched the entire Buffy the Vampire Slayer series together over the phone but and yeah, loved every minute Buffy. of it. <laughs> oh my God, every minute of it in Spike? Oh, yes. Hello, Spike. <laughs> yeah. No, oh. and that also... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV series, not the film, but the TV series, excellent example of a good mother-daughter relationship. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Joyce, I love Joyce. She's one of my favorite fictional moms. And I mean, it took a while for Buffy and Joyce to have a good relationship. They really worked on developing that over the years. Um, Yeah. But I I love their relationship. Let's see. um, Gory Rory said, Tree. And her mother from Happy Death Day and specifically its sequel, Happy Death Day to You. He also added a little bit later, the mother and daughter in Friday the 13th Part 4 final chapter, which I think is is an excellent example. Of course, the mother is really not around for long, but we do get to see her and her daughter getting along really well. Um, yeah. A couple of people just were like, yeah, I don't even know. Like a couple of people were just well, like, I can't think of any. I, I mean, you know, because it's just a very rare thing. And Skid said Poltergeist. Jason Elliott said The Exorcist. And then um, Chrome Skull said that the mom and daughter have a decent relationship in Laid to Rest 2, but the mom is kind of a side character. I also haven't seen that one. Um, I haven't seen that one. But um, but yeah, so just those are some other, you know, films to consider when trying to find like good Mother's Day horror films that aren't because there are a couple of lists that I've seen online that are like great movies to watch on Mother's Day. And like the number one is always Carrie. And I'm like, I don't think you guys quite understand what, what we're going for, at least. Like, I don't want the Carrie Mrs. White dynamic in my Mother's Day movie. Okay, yeah. If you want the worst relationship between a mother and a daughter that you could possibly have, then you want Carrie. <laughs> then you want Carrie. Uh... Mom, I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me on my birthday, on Mother's Day. You know, the more I think about it, I never really thought about it this way, but I didn't really start watching horror movies until I moved in with Dad. The first like seven, eight years of my life, you raised me to like scary stories. It wasn't that I wasn't raised around horror. It was just a different kind of horror because we were avid readers growing up. You know, we were a very pro book household. And so thank you for raising me to love scary stories, which evolved into scary movies, which have evolved into this. Thanks for, you know, 
making me and stuff. Really appreciate well, it. Thank you for being made and stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so before we wrap up tonight, it's time for Worst Case Scenario. If you're new here, Worst Case Scenario is a silly little thing where I pose a hypothetical question relevant to the horror genre, post it all over social media, and read my favorite responses. If I don't get to your answer from this week's question, I sincerely apologize. There were so many. It was delightfully overwhelming. Thank you guys so much for continuing to participate in this ridiculous activity that I love. This week's question was, you've been transported into the world of your favorite horror film. Where are you? And what is your role there? The first answer came from my mom. I'm in an abandoned haunted asylum and I'm the queen ghost. Not like the ghost of a queen, but like an uber ghost. Well, not a ghost that drives you around, but an extra special ghost. Thank you, mom. That's an excellent answer. Yeah, no, I, um, I'm assuming the film to which you have been transported is Grave Encounters. And I... (laughs) <laughs> I like the idea of you being queen ghost. I think that would be an appropriate role for you. You would make a phenomenal queen of the spirit realm. Definitely a better queen ghost than a ghost that just drives an Uber from like one end of the hospital parking lot to the other. That would be a horrible afterlife, you know? <laughs> no one would need a ride from you. Ghosts don't have phones. James Moore said, I am a screaming meatball on Freddy Krueger. <laughs> that is a very interesting choice. Steve said, I'm in a room with a small puzzle box and I am meat. <laughs> I have to say kudos to anyone who would elect to be sucked into the world of Hellraiser. You are quite brave, much braver than me. Nekaratu would be transported into the world of The Shining, and he would be either Jack or Lloyd. His reasoning here is that Jack is Jack, and Lloyd is the best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. I actually think that you would make a spectacular bartender at the Overlook Hotel. I think you would make a really great shoulder for Jack to cry on, you know? Jeff Ray says, aliens. I'm a Marine that always carries extra ammo and frags. I am the cult of said Halloween, and if I'm not Tommy Doyle, then I'm probably Michael, which is really interesting to me. It's such a, there's two vastly different characters. I wonder which one you would prefer to be. Would you rather be the child being terrorized by Michael or would you rather be Michael doing the terrorizing? Is this sort of like a wanting to be a child in the world of Halloween, regardless of the details? Your answer raises questions for me. (laughs) I would absolutely love to get sucked into Haddonfield. I mean, it'd be fucking terrifying. Michael Myers is to this day one of the few horror villains that still gives me nightmares. So I would be scared out of my mind, but Haddonfield was so idyllic even though it wasn't really Illinois. (laughs) Anthony the Dreamer said a nightmare on Elm Street, and of course he would be Nancy. If I have ever met anyone who should go head to head with Freddy Krueger, it's Anthony. Daryl Hardbacker said, I'm at Camp Crystal Lake, but there's a psychic battling the psycho. My power is that I can travel back in time to save Jimmy Mortimer from certain death. (laughs) Oh, that's fucking fabulous. So you would get sucked into the world of the new blood, but you would use your special ability to travel back to the final chapter and save the greatest character that the Friday franchise has ever seen. Hey! Ted! Ted! Hey, Ted, where the hell's the corkscrew? 
I don't mean to pick favorites, but if there were a winner for worst case scenario, I think Bruce just won. Stargirl MS says Warren Valley, Ohio. I'm totally Rhonda. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I actually have only ever seen Trick or Treat a couple of times. My memory of the film is unfortunately very fuzzy. I need to watch it again, but um, I think that's a great answer. <laughs> Although even if it were to live in the world of Trick or Treat, I, I feel badly for anyone who has to live in Ohio. Sorry, Dad. Lobostein said the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he would be Drayton Sawyer. I think if you're going to be any character in the Texas Chainsaw universe, Drayton really is the, he's the guy to be. Graphic Roach said, I'm on the Lewis and Clark in Event Horizon. Probably end up spacing myself out of sheer terror. <laughs> I think that says X in fairies. Save yourself from hell. Gory Rory says, I'm in House on Haunted Hill from 1999, trying to console Watson Pritchett, but more than likely trying to constantly touch Stephen Price's mustache. <laughs> I don't blame you. I don't blame you. That mustache is a thing of fucking beauty. It's all right. I'll go with you. You can spend the night trying to touch Stephen Price's mustache and I'll distract Pritchett by taking him on a quest to find more scotch. Jerry Dandridge said, from dusk till dawn, Salma Hayek's sex slave. <laughs> Now we're talking. How can we parlay this activity into sex with Salma Hayek? Jerry Dandridge figured it out. Skid said, I'm a groundskeeper slash night watchman at the Resurrection Cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm about to chase off these kids who are trespassing when this girl starts dancing on a gravestone. Naked. Ah, heck, they can stay. The guys at the bar aren't going to believe this. Nothing could ruin this night. <laughs> Return of the Living Dead, I think, is also an excellent film to get sucked into, for sure. <laughs> you would never be short of entertainment. What's the weirdest thing you've ever saw in here? Kid, I have seen weird things come, and I have seen weird things go. The Monster's Bride said Eleanor from The Haunting. I, I think that's also a fantastic answer. You would get to spend so much time in such a beautiful house. Chrome Skull said I'd be in the world of Laid to Rest and I'd probably work for Chrome Skull as a part of his company or organization. Apparently the company doesn't have a name. I really need to see Laid to Rest, man. And Laid to Rest too, as that was, you know, one of the recommendations from Chrome Skull for a mother-daughter dynamic, so... I gotta get on that. Arawak Camper said, I'm in Dawn of the Dead, and I'm using my vast security knowledge to help lock down and secure the mall. FYI, I have never been mall security. <laughs> I think you would fit right in, in Dawn of the Dead. A little bit of love said, Dead Silence, I'm a female clown ventriloquist doll. Possessed, of course. I like that. I like um, the idea of being a possessed doll. I would really like to know what that feels like. Thanks again, everybody, for participating. This is one of those worst case scenarios where I feel like I don't really need to say what my answer is because you all already know I would obviously be sucked into the world of Reanimator. Uh, as far as what role I would play there, I would probably just be a student at Miskatonic University. The likelihood of my dying might be a little slim, um, which would be good, but maybe I'll have a class or two with Herbert West. I would just be sitting in the back of Dr. Hill's class, watching Herbert break pencils and pining over him until he was expelled. <laughs> I just want to thank my mom one more time for hanging out with me on Mother's Day slash my birthday, talking with me about our mutual passion. I had 
such a blast. The conversation was, of course, originally much longer. I think we wound up talking for almost three hours, but I was so excited to share the highlights of that discussion with you guys. I, I hope you enjoyed it. If you know of a horror film that features a healthy, loving mother-daughter dynamic that we didn't mention tonight, please reach out to me. I would love to hear your recommendations. There are a number of ways you can get a hold of me. You can look me up on the Slasher app. My username is Final Girl Friday, Instagram at Molly Oblivion, or if you prefer old school correspondence, feel free to email me at finalgirlconfessions at gmail.com. Final Girl Friday also has a website, finalgirlfriday.net. Right now, there are only like a couple of posts on there. Basically, anytime I review a film and that review doesn't make it into a podcast script, it goes up on the website. My hope is that I can continue to post new content there a little more regularly in the future. If you enjoy this podcast and you would like to contribute financially to its growth, you can do so by going over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Final Girl Friday and buy me a movie. I do take requests, so if there's a film you really want to hear me talk about, be sure to mention that in the comment when you donate, and I'll do what I can. Also, if you enjoy the music that you hear on this podcast, the intro, segue, and outro music for Final Girl Friday were composed and performed by Gory Rory, an extraordinarily talented composer and musician who you can find on YouTube. So head over to YouTube, check out Gory Rory's channel. On a personal note, I would like to thank Rory for spending the week with me and giving me, like, the best birthday I've pretty much ever ever had. We had such a good time. We watched a ton of films, some of which I had never seen. Like, I finally got around to watching Freaked from 1993. It was an experience. It was so great getting to watch Alex Winter in a lead role and Randy Quaid. Oh, Randy Quaid and that gorgeous lion-esque mane that he is sporting through the entire film. It is a sight to be seen. We also visited the Museum of Shadows in downtown Omaha, which if you are local and you haven't checked that out yet, it is a supposedly haunted museum filled with artifacts, oddities. There's a whole room of just creepy dolls, one of which is an Annabelle doll, apparently one of seven actual dolls used in the film. It was very cool to see her up close. They have her encased behind glass with, you know, the whole absolutely do not touch sign. They also provide paranormal investigative equipment. You can take an EMF meter around and uh, there's even a room where they encourage you to dip your hands in holy water before you enter it as the artifacts in that room are conduits for especially demonic energy. It was just, it was a blast. I was very pleased to learn that we have a place like that here in Omaha. Evidently it was featured on the Travel Channel too, so that's really cool. Putting Omaha on the creepy map. I hope everybody out there had an excellent week. I know for me, it was one of the more exciting weeks that I've had in a long time and definitely, hands down, very best birthday. I turned 38 years old, but I had so much fun, watched so many movies, had a reanimator-themed birthday cake, got to spend the week with my best friend, and because of all of that, it felt more like I was celebrating, like, my 21st birthday or something. It was, it was so much fucking fun. I'll be back soon, though I have no idea what I'll be talking about. In the meantime, stay safe, stay sane, take your Adderall responsibly, and until next time, creep it real. I should do this. Um, Happy birthday to you. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Molly. Happy birthday to you. I love you. That's that's, Uh, it's today. I love you so much.